a multiverse of infinite Earths. On the world called Earth 2, the heroes banded together to become the Justice Society. Meanwhile, on Earth 1, the heroes formed a similar group called the Justice League. Each year, the members of these two legendary teams meet to confront a new crisis. We explore these exciting team-ups in... The Justice Society presents Crisis. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Justice Society Presents Crisis, our podcast covering the classic team-ups between the Justice Society of Earth 2 and the Justice League of Earth 1. My name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm one of your hosts. Along with me is my co-host, the Earth 2 Rob Kelly. How you doing, buddy? You know, Shag, I was tonight years old when I realized that the words brave and bold kind of mean the same thing. <laughs> I, you know, I, I used to get it confused with the bold and the beautiful, but yeah, that has a more distinct difference. You're right. Brave and bold. Yeah, they do kind of have a similar thing. Interesting. All right. The bold and the beautiful. How many years did that take? Yeah. Well, well, the bold and the beautiful was, of course, the original title for, for Fire and Water podcast. But, that is true. Uh, <laughs> you can guess who's who. <laughs> Copyrights. Uh, but yeah, I feel really ashamed that I read Brave and the Bold for how many years and then how many years has it been canceled? And I just realized tonight it's kind of the same thing. So, okay, everybody. The brave and confident comic is what it should have been called. That's right. <laughs> now, folks, tonight, as Rob has led uh, into you there, the brave and the bold, we are doing something a little bit different. Uh, on the very first episode, we explained to you that sometimes we'd be stepping away from our usual Justice League of America issues featuring, uh, you know, the ones that always feature the JSA, JLA team-ups. Uh, and in this episode, we're going to do exactly that. We are going to be covering a team-up of, of a sort between members outside of those issues, specifically a comic book featuring the Dark Knight detectives of both Earth-1 and Earth-2 in the same story. Very exciting. Now, Rob, I remember, you, you've told me before, Brave and the Bold was kind of your Batman comic, isn't that right? Oh, yeah, it was, uh, again, despite uh, the, 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 the rumors, I was not a Richie Rich, and I didn't have <laughs> endless money to buy every comic I wanted, but so I had to really, there was always that those core titles that I always bought. And if I had extra money, I would get other books. But Brave and the Bull was one of those core titles. Uh, more than Detective, more than Batman, it was always Brave and the Bull. Like Justice League was number one, and then like, you know, Star Wars. But Brave and the Bull was like in third position or fourth position because it was, you know, I love Batman. It was more often as not drawn by Jim Aparo. And then it featured a guest star. So you had that variety. So yeah, I completely love the series. I bought every issue when it was, you know, in its original run. I, I've only read so many Brave and the Bold. Like, I didn't read any of them really growing up, other than I'd pick up the Firestorm and the Blue Devil issues or Dr. Fate or whatever. And then when we started doing shows, I fell in love with all the Zany Haney issues. But uh, like this issue, this is the first time I've ever read this issue. Uh, for me, sort of similarly, I was over in the Marvel camp. You know, I, I always bought Marvel Team Up. That was my Spider-Man book. You know, sort of similar. I always made sure to buy Marvel Team Up for years. So uh, this was a fun little uh, trip down, I don't know, experiment lane for me to read this for the first time. So that's just really, I, I didn't know where the sentence was going. But uh, <laughs> trip down, experiment lane. <laughs> that's what happens in college when you drink too much. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I should just end that part of the conversation. So news. Perfect. So uh, on to news about the Justice Society. Folks, Stargirl Season 2 has wrapped up. If you haven't watched it yet with lots and lots and lots of JSA content, including The Shade as a major player in the story. So check those out. I think 
don't quote me on this, but I think you can still watch all the episodes for free on the CW app if you don't have cable. Uh, then the Black Adam movie is moving along quite quickly here with lots and lots of JSA in the cast. That is set for July 2022. I don't even know if we'll get another episode of the show out before then, Rob. Um, <laughs> at the pace we're going. And then our friends over at the All-Star Squadron podcast, you know, A World on Fire, they have launched another JSA-related podcast because they just couldn't get enough. Uh, they have launched the Star Rocket Radio in Infinity Inc. podcast. So be sure to check that out from our buddies Herman and Billy D. So that is awesome. Way to go, guys. So what about you? What, what's going on in the world of JSA with you, Rob? You have been reading anything lately? You have been thinking about the JSA? <laughs> pining away for Power Girl? Have I been thinking about the JSA? Yeah, in the middle of my work day, I just occasionally randomly think about the Star-Spangled Kid. No, uh, I... All right, yeah, now hold I mean, on a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a second to think. I've got a six-foot poster of Crisis on my office wall where I'm working. I think about the JSA every freaking day, thank you very much. I stare okay. at various JSA members. In fact, I was reading a Jeff Johns JSA comic last night. So, there you okay. go. What about you? Uh, well, I didn't. I have not seen it. I didn't see that like sizzle reel for Black Adam. So like, there's JSA in that movie. There's the JSA in that movie. Is that? Oh yeah. Doctor Fate, Adam Smasher, Hawkman. There's uh, no, there's going to be a live action Doctor Fate in the Black Adam movie. I didn't know this. We have talked about this. I they, they've been promising a Black Adam movie for ten years. Well, they I, filmed I the damn thing. Remington uh, Steele is Black Doctor Fate. Oh, that's right. That's See? right. We we talked about that at some point, like three years ago. Yeah, that's probably uh, probably when they cast it. That's probably true before yeah. COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I yeah. Why why are they doing a Black Adam movie? <laughs> it's probably going to be very good, and then we're going to get an awesome team up with Shazam because the first Shazam movie was yeah. super fun, much more fun than it deserved to be. So yeah. Uh, right. Well, I mean, I, I answer. I know why we're doing a Black Adam movie because Jeff Johns loves Black Adam, and he was a, you know, he was a big player in the DC Warner Brothers firmament for the longest while. And of course, The Rock wants to play him, and right, that's leave. a the real Rock reason. Wants right to there. get something done, it's going to happen. So there you exactly. go. Exactly. It's like, oh, The Rock wants to be in our movie. Sure, we will make that movie just so we can have The Rock in it. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, that is a perfect segue to talk about our sponsors, folks. Uh, this episode of JSA Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, what comic did you pick specifically themed to The Rock, Rob? <laughs> uh, nothing at all. No, I picked uh, <laughs> DC through the 80s. The End of Eras, a storied survey of the decade that changed comics forever. And uh, this is a collection of, look, well, look, I have to say, I read the description on Instock Trades, and I'm a little confused because <laughs> some of the, some of the <laughs> what stories, else is new? Some of the stories are clearly about, are, are representing, you know, the way DC was changing in the 80s. And so this, uh, the comic we're going to be talking about, Brave and the Bold number 200, is reprinted in this book, which is why I picked it. But it also features Detective Comics number 500, classic there, Superman number 423, and Adventure 583, which is whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow. So all that makes sense. You can see all those stories have a theme of some ending of a, something from the DC Universe. But then there's other books in here reprinted. Jonah Hex 54 to 55, Issues of the House of Mystery, Warlord number 42, Word War Tales 93, Time Warp number 2. I have no idea what any of those have to do with the end of Eras, <laughs> the DC Universe. Super Friends number 36? I'm completely what? baffled by that. Yeah, I have no idea what this collection really is, but it sounds cool. And <laughs> I will say, 
I, part of it is again just the fact that this is this book reprints Brave and the Brave the Bull number two hundred is exciting. But this is a hardcover. The normal price for this hardcover is forty nine ninety nine. In stock trades price is seventeen dollars and forty nine cents. It is sixty five percent off. And this thing is like just listing some of the other titles that it, some of the comics is reprinting. I think this thing is like four hundred pages. This is one of those giant massive hardcovers it's I said it's it's um written by uh, paul levitz and then there's also some essays there's one by jackie harris and stuff so if you're a big dc 80s fan this sounds like a great book and for pete's sakes it's 65 percent off you're getting it for 18 bucks that is an incredible deal that's insane that's a hell of a price wow and i mean it's worth it for just some of those comics you mentioned i'd, I'd pay that for three joe knox comics so yeah <laughs> Uh, I picked something completely different, completely off the reservation, but it is in the golden age era. So I decided, all right, you know what? We always try and find stuff specific to the JSA or whatever. So I, I went completely far afield and picked the complete golden age Airboy and Valkyrie hardcover. Now, hopefully you guys are familiar with Airboy and Valkyrie, if nothing else from the, the 1980s series and things like that. This collects their 1980s editions. I'm sorry, 19, uh, their, their golden age editions. It's got an introduction by Tim Truman. The art, you know, it's Fred Kinda art. I mean, Valkyrie is sexy as hell back then. It, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it the idea behind Airboy and Valkyrie was it's sort of inspired by Terry and the Pirates. Um, so Airboy and, Airboy and Valkyrie, they have this love-hate relationship. And it's a great adventure comic. It inspired folks like Alex Toth. And uh, anyway, it's the whole thing's 136 pages. It looks fantastic. I, I don't personally own this one, but boy, it's something I think I'd love to pick up. It's a hardcover. It normally goes for $24.99, uh, and you can get it for 25% off, so it's only $18.74. Same price as your giant book, but this is more of a you know kind of unusual pick that you're going to have a hard time finding. You're not going to find this stuff digitally anywhere, as far as I know. So check it out, Complete Golden Age, Airboy, and Valkyrie hardcover. And I know... Michael Bailey's already writing in the comments about how good it is. So that, that's a benefit right there. So folks, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support. Because running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows, it requires a lot of online hosting and services and things like that. And a while back, we realized we needed some help. Um, and so we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help the network go with the expenses. So if you're enjoying the JSA Presents podcast, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon, just patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, consider supporting the network. And at certain tiers, you'll get mentioned on your show of choice, just like these folks who asked to be recognized on the JSA Presents podcast. So our thanks to Keith G. Baker, Joe Tonello, Herman Lowe, Alex Osias, David Ace Gutierrez, Gord Tolton, Joshua Romano, and Ted Kilvington. So once again, make sure you visit our Patreon at HTPS, of course, patreon.com slash <laughs> stuff. I don't know why I said all that. Everyone knows what that is. Patreon.com slash FW podcast. W W dot dot <laughs> parentheses D O T and parentheses Patreon dot. Okay, yeah. And while you're searching for this thing called the World Wide Web, look up something called Twitter, and you can find us as JSA Presents out there, or you can, of course, the FW Presents for Fire and Water. I'm sorry, uh, FW Podcast. Uh, and you can use our hashtag, too, FW Podcast. And we will have some images from Brave and the Bold number 200 up on our website. Uh, it's firewaterpodcast.com slash JSA Presents. We're not going to do a lot of images. I mean, this comic is very available. Just like Rob mentioned, you can get it in that hardcover. It's on DC Unlimited. I'm not... Uh, DC Infinite. I mean, lots and lots of places you can read this, but we'll post a couple of images that we feel is pretty relevant. So, Rob, why don't you tell us why you picked Brave in the Bold number 200? Well, uh, as I said, I've always loved this series, uh, and I think Brave in the Bold number 200 is a particularly 
good issue. We'll get into the details uh, of the, the plot. And, and, and it features a team-up of Batman and Batman. The Earth-1 Batman and the Earth-2 Batman. And that seemed to fit our criteria in terms of uh, what we'd like to cover Earth-1 and Earth-2 team-ups. And so uh, this was something that um, I can't think of a podcast that's covered it. it Maybe at some point it, it got discussed, this story, but I've always loved it. I bought it. I said I bought it off the stands at the time. I loved Brave and the Bold, and I was sad that the title went away. I understood why it did. We can get into the details of that in a little bit. But this, to me, is just one of the best issues of the series, and that is saying something. So I just thought it would be really fun to talk about. I, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I liked that they got Jim Aparo to do the cover because, you know, he's not doing the interiors, which no. when, when I think Brave and the Bold, I do think, and again, Zany Haney, who again, we don't get, and I think of uh, Jim Aparo. So getting him to do the cover on the last issue, I felt like it was a, it was a good way to go. Yeah, I mean, he had already been moved over to Batman and the Outsiders, which uh, this this book features a 16-page sneak preview of Batman and the Outsiders, and they needed to get that book up and running because basically it came out the very next month after Brave and the Bold got canceled. And this was the book that were basically, you know, were, took the place of Brave and the Bold on the schedule. Now, I don't know whether that was because Brave and the Bold had started to wind down sales-wise. I assume so. Really, most comic series don't ever get canceled unless that's the reason. And then they thought maybe it's a way to freshen it up was to introduce Batman into a team. I, in a, in a, you know, sort of a funny way, it feels a little uh, ignominious for Brave and the Bold to feature a preview of the book that it's being replaced by. It's, a little, it's, like, it's like that one time that they like made Jay Leno have Conan O'Brien on and say, oh, he's replacing me in five years. It's a little like, wow, geez, you're kicking the guy, <laughs> making the All guy, right. you know, it's a little humiliating there. Uh, but, but, you know, Brave and the Bold, you know, had to be up and running and they had to make sure you know, the, the pair was going to do all those series. So they had moved him off of Brave and the Bold actually a couple months earlier. He didn't do the last bunch of issues of uh, the series number 197 which we've talked about is uh, the batman earth Two batman and catwoman team up written by alan brenner uh drawn by joe staten which is one of the greatest batman stories i've ever read and we talked about it long ago when i did the uh, interview with alan for fire and water podcast and then ross andrew did an issue and there was a, they had different artists tackling it because like I said, they had moved apparel over to raven bull but as you say it was great that he came back to do the cover and so you've got that anniversary logo that DC did for all their anniversary issues with the gold tinted ink. And it says, uh, starring Batman and Batman and the old Batman logo is there. And you've got uh, Batman and Robin running towards the camera with the old style Batmobile and Apero is sort of doing a kind of old timey Batman. And then in the back is the Batman that we're more familiar with, with the bat signal shooting up in the sky. So it's a little bit overstuffed in terms of a cover. There's a lot of copy. I mean, you've got the anniversary brave and the bold and the logos and the UPC, and the blurb for Outsiders. Uh, but but it's, it's a nice postery image to see the two Batmans together. The two things that I like to see is I, I actually, the Batmans are fine. I actually like seeing the logos next to each other more. Mm. Maybe that's the marketing side of me. I don't know. I find it fascinating to see the, the 1950s version of the logo versus the modern 1980s version. I love seeing those back to back. I like how in the 80s they were recapturing that flavor too. They were yeah. using a similar logo. And I also like, and this is just cheesy, I like the bat signal is the emblem on the chest of the Earth One Batman? I just think that's fun. <laughs> it's a great comic. I said we're going to be we're going to be talking about. It. I'm really excited because this. I went nuts on the plot details. Everybody, I really wrote a long. Oh plot my gosh, you did! I thought you pulled it from the web. It's so long. <laughs> no, uh, this is. Uh, I wrote all of this. So, uh, do you want to get right into it? 
Well, I, I do want to say, first of all, we're, we're, we are going to skip the Batman and the Outsiders preview. Yes. Uh, because it's, I mean, it's, it, it's holy in and of itself, has nothing to do with Earth 2, and there's already a great podcast you can listen to exactly. all about it called The Outcasters with our good buddies Tim Price and his crew. Yeah. Uh, there's also a one-page Batmite story by Stephen, uh, Stephen DiStefano, which is cute, but again, not really germane to what we're going to be covering, so we'll be skipping that as well. Yeah, I'm betting uh, that because uh, Stephen was working in uh, the DC production office at the time. So I'm betting they were like, oh, geez, we got one extra page. Well, let's just get, <laughs> let's get one of the guys <laughs> to do this. And it's just this funny little Batman thing. But yeah, we're only going to be talking about the, the actual team up. So the name of the story is Smell of, Brim- Smell of Brimstone, Stench of Death. It's by Mike W. Barr, Dave Gibbons, and Gary Martin. 40 pages. Uh, this book was cover dated July 1983. It came out on April 21st, 1983. So uh, the plot is such. Uh, in a prologue explaining the Earth 1, Earth 2 concept, more about that in a moment, we are shown that each Earth has on it a man named Nicholas Lucian. Each man has the nagging sense that they were not alone in the universe. But we see as they grew up, their life paths diverged. One pursued a life of crime, the other down a more socially acceptable path. Cut to an abandoned meatpacking plant on the outskirts of Gotham City. Two fedora-wearing goons walk in, wondering why they were summoned there. It is then that the self-proclaimed supervillain Brimstone reveals himself. Except, despite his theatrical entrance and skull-bedecked throne, Brimstone inspires nothing but uncontrolled guffawing by the goons. Apparently, Brimstone's sole attempt at defeating Batman resulted in an humiliating defeat, which caused his name to be mud among the Gotham underworld. The goons prepare to leave, but Brimstone stops them with a smoke bomb, telling, threatening the men that this time will be different. Cut to Commissioner Gordon's office, and Batman and Robin arrive to be told that Brimstone is back. He has left the dynamic duo a box of rings, a clue to his next crime. When assembled, the rings form a bullseye, which can only mean one thing. Brimstone is going to rob the archery competition being held that night at the Gotham Arena, because that's a thing. Batman and Robin (laughs) find Brimstone and his men making off with the loot and try and stop them. Batman and Robin get back the money, but not before Brimstone escapes. The next night, another clue leads to a fight at the Gotham Municipal Waste Disposal and another attempted holdup. Brimstone knocks out Robin and puts him on a conveyor belt headed into a furnace, forcing Batman to let Brimstone get away while he saves his partner. Brimstone is furious that two of his heists have been foiled and announced that Batman must die. After another clue leads our heroes to the Gotham Bait Company, Robin rushes in before Batman tells him to. That leads to Brimstone capturing the boy Wonder, and he demands that Batman undergo a death trap or else he will kill Robin. Batman, stripped of his utility belt, is thrown into a death pit, complete with cameras so Brimstone can watch Batman burn to death. But, using his knowledge of science, Batman uses some of the chemicals found in the building to create an explosion big enough for him to escape. Brimstone is furious and grows even more so when Robin chuckles at Batman's explanation that one of the chemicals he used in his escape was sulfur. And what's another word for sulfur? Brimstone. Brimstone charges at Batman, who easily lands a punch across Brimstone's jaw. Brimstone falls over and hits his head on some supervillain decoration and is knocked out. Batman and Robin drag the unconscious Brimstone off, headed for the Gotham State Prison. Cut to 1983, and a doctor named Lincoln is visiting the Gotham State Prison for a unique task. She's brought with her a new serum that will wake a prisoner who's been asleep for almost 30 years. We learn that when Brimstone hit his head in the fight with Batman, it put him in a coma he has never awakened from. The serum works, and Brimstone is horrified to see he is now a decrepit old man. Filled with rage, he declares that he will get his revenge on Batman for doing this to him. A fellow inmate, a similarly creepily aged Joker, breaks the news to Brimstone that that's not possible, 
by handing him a newspaper declaring that Batman died many years ago. Sitting alone in his cell, Brimstone stews over his fate. He cannot live with the idea that revenge will be denied him. He then lets his mind wander and recalls that feeling that he had as a child that he wasn't alone. And if there is another Nicholas, might there be another Batman? Yes. Later, a guard finds Brimstone and has the doctor examine him. The doctor explains that Brimstone isn't so much in a coma as that his mind is simply gone. And by the way, folks, that story about waking up as a decrepit old man, that happened to Rob. So we cut to another world about Gotham City. Uh, Gotham City has been rocked by a series of violent explosions. And the chaos is causing civil unrest. And Commissioner Gordon promises that the resulting crime coming from the bombings will be curtailed. As to the identity of the bomber, Commissioner Gordon's put his best man he knows on the case. Now, while on a date with a beautiful woman named Clarice, millionaire playboy Bruce Wayne suddenly cuts the evening short. Clarice wonders what causes Wayne's strange behavior, not noticing the bat signal floating in the sky behind her. Gordon gives Batman a note telling him that whoever is setting off the bombs doesn't want anything. They just want to destroy Gotham City. Batman sees the chaos and looting that is taking place and wonders if this mysterious foe just might succeed. Batman's investigations lead him to a chemical factory where Brimstone is waiting for him. Via a closed-circuit television, he tells the Dark Knight that he's looking forward to their rematch, which confuses Batman. Then a gang of hired goons descends upon him, and he manages to fight them off. A second clue leads him to the Hellenic Club, where some gas knocks him out. When he awakes, Batman finds himself in the same death trap the Golden Age Batman almost died in. As lava fills the room, we see this Earth's Nicholas Lucian reassert himself, battling over control of the shared body with Brimstone. When Brimstone's personality resurfaces, he is even more determined to see his plan work, killing Batman and his other world doppelganger. Batman manages to escape in the same way his doppelganger did, and he stops Brimstone before he can set off a series of explosions that would level Gotham City. He knocks out Brimstone, knocking his head in a similar manner as we saw happen to Brimstone's body on Earth 2. A little while later, Nicholas Lucian wakes up in full control of his own body, completely baffled and having no memory of what happened. Batman takes all this in and believes what he sees. He and Nicholas walk away, with Batman saying he's never believed in possession, but now he's not so sure. Back on Earth 2, we see that Brimstone's mind has returned to his comatose body, alive in name only. His doctors comment that he will probably live out his natural lifespan in this state. We see a single tear roll down the cheek of the comatose Brimstone. Meanwhile, Batman of Earth 1 enjoys the quiet Gotham sunrise, but can't quite shake the feeling that he's met his greatest challenge. In the sky behind him is the image of the Golden Age Batman. Oof, that was a lot of fun. I did not know what to expect going into this, and I had a blast with it. I absolutely love this comic. Um, I haven't read it in several years and rereading it for the show reminded me how much I enjoyed it. Mike W. Barr uh, clearly, and by the way, we should mention on the final page of the story, and there's lots of comment on the art, but in the final page of the, the story, there's a little in memoriam for Brave and the Bold, the title. Mm-hmm. It says in memoriam Brave and the Bold 1955 to 1983. And, you know, um, I love that DC decided to let Brave and the Bold go out with a bang. Um, you know, no pun intended. Like, they, they did a double-sized issue, and then decided to do something special, which is team up the two Batmans. Now, of course, it's not really a team-up because they don't actually meet because they really couldn't. Batman, the Earth 2 Batman, has been long dead at this point. But it's, so it's a little bit of a cheat, but I love the idea that Barr came up with that you've got one villain traversing the universe 
uh, into the other to get revenge on the bad man, even though he doesn't, it's not the same bad man. And well, I, I, uh, I, I want to add to that before you step away from it. It's also a brilliant celebration of the title itself because the Batman of Earth 2 story takes place in 1955. Yes. And the Batman of Earth 1 story takes place in 1983. So it's celebrating the bookends of the series run. Yes, absolutely. So, sorry to interrupt you, but I had to add that. In. No, no, no. I, th- I think it's a great – I love this uh, – I, lo- I think Brimstone is a really fun villain. He is original. This is a brand-new creation. Uh, when, so in the story where he's talking about that he has fought Batman before, Mike Barge is making that up, or this is Brimstone's one and only appearance. He's a really believable 50s Batman villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you could have absolutely seen him in the TV series. Uh, <laughs> I would have you know, imagined like Roger C. Carmel or something. Like I play Harry Mudd. I see could have played for oh, gosh. Or something like that. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think the story is sweet. It's funny. It's tragic in some ways. It's creepy in other ways. Uh, the artwork by Dave Gibbons, I mean, um, not that this is a shock, is absolutely fantastic. He turns in an ap- just a superb art job. Chapter one is all drawn like Dick Sprang. He's mm-hmm. purposely drawing it like it's 1950s Batman. And then in the 80s one, it's more of his own style. And he absolutely crushes it. So art-wise, it's great. Story-wise, it's great. I love the idea that you've got this guy so obsessed with the revenge that he is able to take over the body of somebody else. And he's willing to destroy everything just to get revenge for what Batman did to him. And uh, and he's so consumed by revenge that he's even willing to, again, to get revenge on someone else. It's not even the guy. It's not even the right mm-hmm. guy. Um, and... I, I said, when I read this comic in 1983, it was the first time I had seen, I think it's the only time DC ever showed until Kingdom Come, like an old Joker. Because in this oh, story, okay. he's old. He's because he's, you know, he's gray haired. And to me, there's something really creepy about all the old Batman villains just sitting around Arkham Asylum, wasting away to nothing with nobody to fight. Because Batman has been dead a bunch of years. There's something just really upsetting. And seeing the Joker as a decrepit old man makes him even creepier. So I, I just think this story is just a total winner. The, the Joker as an old man is, and the idea that he outlives Batman yeah. is also upsetting. And he's very, he's extremely creepy with the white sideburns and uh, it's the whole thing about it. it in An old Joker that you know is still out there and just still evil ugh, is very disturbing. Yeah, I love I, that I, he holds on to the newspaper with the Batman headline, Batman dead. Like he's holding on it like it's a cherished, you know, item. I didn't pick up on that until you mentioned in the recap, the old newspaper. And now I can see the newspaper's got like little, you know, it's, it's obviously well-worn. I didn't yep. pick up on that when I read it the first time. So that's clever. So I, I got to talk a little bit more about Dave Gibbons. So, I mean, what masterful work because it's not just that he drew batman to look like he did in the 50s it's also the panel design Mm -hmm. it's the storytelling it looks exactly like you said i don't it looks very 1950s and then the 1980s stuff looks very modern very cool now he did have an inker on the first half of the story gary martin did ink the first half of the story the the golden age version but it's still his pencils the whole way through and his inks on the second half. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm looking at this in uh, digitally. So I'm looking at like all these thumbnails of the pages so I can see all the panel designs next to each other. It's just amazing how he did the difference in the panel designs because it is so traditional in the first half and so dynamic and exciting and breaking the panel borders and things like that in the second half. It's just, wow, just so stunning. So stunning. Yeah. I mean, the splash page for the 1950 segment even has the created by Bob Kane 
mm-hmm. little credit tag, which all those comics did at the time. Uh, Gary Martin was the anchor on Blue Devil, right? Wasn't yes, he? he was. Yeah. He Paris Collins. Yeah, yep. I mean, it's just great. Again, it's I, I, it's like style wise, it's just so spot on, uh, and I just find it so wonderfully charming. And I love that you know Batman uses his detective skills to work his way out of things. He gets out of the explosion by knowing you know how chemical compounds work. Uh, I love that. <laughs> Reminded me of Arena from Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think, <laughs> do it. Think of it, Captain. You know. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just, I just think it's so utterly charming, and I love that. Like part of the reason that Brimstone gets so upset is that Robin's laughing at him, where he's like, "No, I won't be laughed at again." Like his ego is just so overwhelming, and the well, story. Def- oh, go ahead. Well, uh, go back to the scene where the, the, the hoods are making fun of Brimstone mm-hmm. for getting beat up. Robin is sticking him in the butt with his own poker. Yep. So clearly he's probably got a burr up his butt, literally, for Robin. So Robin making fun of him is probably just took him to, to another level. Yeah. Oh, man. I said it. I, I just think it's so beautiful. And again, I love the tonal change because, again, the, the, the 50s sec- section is light and fun and goofy. And a, it's a 1950s batman comic and then we cut to again this interlude in 1983 and all of a sudden the panel borders are all black and everything is dark and foreboding and he just realized oh man this everything has turned horrific for this guy uh that he's just wasting away in the gotham state prison and then the idea that again he can now i mean we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit but like Mike W. Barr just kind of hand waves how <laughs> brimstone can yeah. you know brimstone does not have superpowers but but they did establish that he always felt like he had a psychic connection to the other version, and somehow he's able to transfer his mind. Well, all right, fine. He just is able to. Let's just move forward. It's like Dr. Double X, the psychic twin. What the hell is a psychic twin? All right, yeah, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, speaking of you know the splash pages, things like that, go to the very first page of the comic. This is probably my favorite page in the whole thing. It's a splash page of the two Batman face-to-face, and this is a great way to look at Dave Gibbons two styles side by side because if you look at the the body the musculature of the two Batman even in the briefs you know how Bat- the, the golden <laughs> age Batman's briefs come way up to like his belly button and the other ones are you know more like bikini style <laughs> the, the sh- even some of the shadowing and the muscle lines I mean it's it's a great way it, all right look at the necks look at the necks on the Batman there it's very much a, a way to tell the difference between the 50s and the 80s version and they look great and I love the lighting on brimstone behind it yep it's a, it's really, really an exceptional page. I, I love this one quite a bit. It really helps to demonstrate the differences of what he uh, put together. Now, here's something else. Now, I don't, you probably have the physical comic in front of you, but on the digital one, I'm able to tell the difference too in the coloring that Adrian Roy put in here. Batman from Earth One, his, you know, he has the traditional blue and gray, right? But Batman from Earth Two, he still has the blue, but the gray is not pure gray. It's got some purple tints yep. to it. Yeah. Okay. And so you can clearly see that old classic uh, purplish gray that uh, in the Golden Age Batman, and I, or I guess at this point, Silver Age, really. But I absolutely adore that. Yeah, it's 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 spot on. I mean, it's and it's not a parody because they're not. It's it's just a complete recreation of that style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe as you said, Robin poking Brimstone in the butt probably wouldn't have passed muster in a 1950s Batman comic. But if you had, you know, if you had put this on aged paper. And slotted it into a 1950s Batman comic, you'd believe it. It just mm-hmm. seems completely plausible. And I love that Mike W. Barr is just such a fan of those old Batman stories and he creates them so so perfectly. And then it said it's only when we cut to 1983 and everything becomes dark and heavy and ominous. And I love that drawing of 
when we see Brimstone for the first time as an old man and his hair is half white and he's wrinkled. And I mean, think how terrifying that's got to be is that you go to sleep one day and you wake up 30 years later. Uh, that's a horrifying thought. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's like, what's happened to me? Uh, I just, again, I, I can return. I can remember buying this comic off the stands and just being really sort of creeped out at the idea. And again, and you know, I mean, maybe Mike W. Barr could have decided to use a, you know, a classic villain for this tale, but there's something about that. It's, it's Brimstone. This is one and done. And he, again, he'll never appear again because they, you know, what he does, is he does away with him and puts him back in a coma at the end of the story, which he's going to stay in, you know, until his body rots. Well, a lot of Brave and the Bolds were one-and-done villains anyway. Yes. You know, yes. There were a lot of made-up folks. So it's sort of fitting for that. And, um, so a couple different thoughts here on, on the different styles. So the first half, very traditional storytelling, lots of fun. The second half, things get dark, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the guru, it, to demonstrate the difference between the 50s and the 80s, Barr has got, you know, bombings. Like, all these religious groups get bombed and murdered. I mean, that is super gruesome. It was, like, really disturbing for me to to to, to see that happen. Now, I may have this wrong. Remind me if I'm right or not. Didn't on the Batman Nightcast, our buddies Ryan and Chris, who used to do that show, uh, they would cover the Mike W. Barr stories, I think, with Alan Davis. Yes. The and didn't they point out that Mike W. Barr had sort of a fascination of the, the Silver Age and was kind of layering that stuff into those stories anyway? Yeah, those stories that he did for Detective have that kind of 60s flavor to mm-hmm. them. They're, they're modern Batman, but they have a little bit of that. Because, yeah, Mike Barr is clearly a fan of all that. Um, but, but yeah, you're right. It said this story gets a lot, everything's a lot heavier. It's, it, you know, it's f- kind of funny. Brimstone's plot is not that dissimilar from the Jokers in the dark Knight, the movie, because mm-hmm. it's all about causing chaos in Gotham city. I mean, Brimstone really doesn't want anything. He just wants to utterly destroy Gotham city to hurt Batman. And, and it, it starts to work because he's going to set off these explosions, which is causing rioting. And, uh, it, I mean, that's a lot of it. And it's just like, he just wants to destroy. He, some people just want to watch the world burn. Uh, right. and that's sort of Brimstone's plot. And here it is Brimstone doing it a full two decades before Heath Ledger as the Joker would do the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Jeez. I right, so looking at the 80 story. Also, uh, Clarice, the, the girlfriend or the, the date, like I, I, I didn't catch it till the second time I'm reading it. This cracked me up. So she's excited to be on a date with Bruce Wayne. And she's talking about, you know, uh, what they're going to do. She's been waiting for months for this date. And she says, we'll wind up at my place, of course. But we've got mm. the whole evening ahead of us, Bruce. And, like, the first time I read that, I breezed right past it. The second time I read that, I was like, oh, damn. She's <laughs> taking her shot right out early on of the date. Good for you, Clarice. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you got a chance with Bruce Wayne. You got to take it. But, uh, unfortunately, right. it doesn't work out. That's how that's how Robin Kelly met. Um, and then that's not true at all. It was a joke. Sorry, I thought it was funny. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just. Let's just, I mean, let's just continue talking about Brave and the Bold. I do this all the time with my kids. Every time we watch a movie and there's like a weird way people get together, I always lean into my kids and go, "That's how your mom and I met." Anyway, <laughs> so go to page 26. You're going to love this if you didn't notice it already. I'm sure you did. There's a great shot where Batman. He's talking to Commissioner Gordon. This is in the 80s. And he swings away, and behind him, the whole city is really, I mean, they, they put a lot of effort into drawing the city and the skyscrapers and all this stuff, but it's all in blue surprint. Oh, it's so <laughs> gorgeous. I know, isn't it, right? It's absolutely, you know, we're, we're going to get to our, our favorite moments in the story, and usually we pick either, a, you know, a part of the, you know, something from the story or the art. This is my art piece, this panel oh, yeah. of Batman. It's all in black and white, and you see Gord leaning outside the window, 
and Batman swinging to this monochromatic, almost photorealistic Gotham City behind him is such a gorgeous image uh, that I'm amazed that it hasn't been kind of used more in Batman comics. It is just stunningly beautiful. I don't know whether that was Adrian Roy's idea or Dave Gibbons' idea or a combination of the two, but man, it just gives this wonderfully kind of moody feeling of Batman swinging off into the night. It's, it's absolutely pure eye candy. It really is. It's like, that would be an awesome poster or a t-shirt or something. You know, if it was a little more iconic as Batman, I mean, it's really mm-hmm. only the cape, but I mean, it's uh, e- even commissioner Gordon's quotes are perfect. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just awesome. And they also did some amazing lighting on, uh, on, on the face of the bad guy in this. Like there's times where he's, you know, sometimes he's Lucian and sometimes he's, uh, What's his stupid well, name? They're both, they're uh, Nick, Nicholas, Nicholas Lucian Thank is you. the name of both of them. But I mean, yeah, it's either Lucian is kind of the good version and then Brimstone. is the, Right. Know. Where I was going is Dave Gibbons did shadows. Like yep. uh, there's shadows on the face to represent when he's Brimstone. And when he switches back to Lucian, the shadows are gone. I love yep. that effect. It just, it's, it's subtle. It's easy, but it tells exactly what it needs to tell. And I love that. It's really, I said, it's it's really terrific. Uh, I do like that when Batman uh, approaches the Hellenic Club and he talks about that, uh, well, you know, Bruce Wayne is a member here, of course. It's just like Bruce Wayne is you know, all these like one percenter clubs and stuff. And we kind of yep. just, you know, back then it seemed like, oh, of course he would be. Now we're a little like, mm, all right, Bruce, maybe you should stay <laughs> not be members of these stupid clubs, but okay, whatever. Well, it's also uh, a third person, you know. It's yeah, not like yeah, it's yeah he's referring to himself as, yeah. <laughs> So I, I got to ask, uh, in, in the in the 50s version of the story, so a couple different funny things. So Batman and Robin have, uh, have Brimstone on the run at the archery competition, and they're all set to win. And, you know, Robin's doing the Ro- Robin Hood thing with the bow and arrow. So shout out to our buddy Alan Wright with that one. And then they, they trip the sprinklers. And all of a sudden, a couple of water puddles is enough to take down Batman and Robin. I mean, just <laughs> what? Can't stop from slipping. Right, exactly. It's just ludicrous. And then later on, when they defeat Brimstone and they switch out his pill, his his you know magnesium pills or whatever the hell they are, what the hell is Robin, a teenage boy, carrying around heartburn pills for? He specifically says he swapped out the dangerous pills for heartburn pills. Why? Why does he have those in the first place? He's always prepared because he's Robin the Boy Wonder. Come on. Okay, your answer is better than what I was working on. But all right, fair enough. <laughs> so the, the whole death trap thing, like. All right, so I did struggle with the death trap, but it, it makes nice synchronicity between the, the the Silver Age plot and the Modern Age plot, and it is a very typical sort of Batman death trap. He's in a pit that's filling with lava. By the way, I didn't know lava is something you could just pick up commercially at the store, uh, but well, apparently it's very easy to get on both Earth 2 and Earth 1. Yeah. Well, I mean, these supervillains, I mean, how did he get the death trap built? That's how these, these guys, they have a whole team of people that do this stuff. Well, digging out a pit is one thing, right? Okay, a lot of people can dig out a pit. They're digging out a pit right now for my house. Uh, but but to have jets that shoot lava, now that's that's extra. I mean, that's really something special. <laughs> it costs a lot of money, but, you know, this stuff you can get done in the DC universe. I guess so. I guess so. I don't know. Just Those are just some of the fun things I like. I like also how Dr. Lincoln on Earth 2 is the reporter Lincoln on Earth 1. I don't know if you caught that or not. Oh, geez. No, I didn't even notice yeah. that. Yeah, it's the same woman, but she's a doctor on Earth 2, and she's a reporter on Earth 1. 
Oh, wow. I didn't yep. even, that, that's a great detail. That's super. That's great. Joan Lincoln. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's great. Oh, man. This comic's even better than I thought it was. Great. <laughs> it's it's so a fun. lot of fun. There's a lot packed in here. Mike W. Barr and Dave Gibbons obviously had a blast with this. And again, just what a great spotlight for Dave Gibbons to be able to show his talent with both different eras, you know? Yeah. There's a, uh, there, one little thing. There's one sequence where you've got these three uh, citizens of Gotham and they're on camera and uh, they're about to be told, you're on. And behind him, behind the three of them is a clock face. Uh, with the 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 uh, the arms of the the hands of the clock pointing to midnight, and I'm like, oh, there he he would be doing a lot of that in just a couple of years. Like everything with Dave Gibbons <laughs> has got clock faces, kind of a big thing. Uh, and I love the epilogue. I think the epilogue. I like that Batman just has some. First of all, the line where he has, a, I've never really believed in possession. I got to tell you, everybody, in the very pre- the, the the previous issue of Brave and the Bold, Batman teamed up with the Spectre, and he doesn't believe in possession. Okay. Um, but I, I like that Mike W. Barr gives Batman some sense of unease that he feels like there was something bigger to this than he can put his finger on. Uh, but I like that he leaves it at that as opposed to like finding some cheesy way of like the Earth 2 Batman. It's like a ghost coming back and you're like, oh, Batman. You know what I mean? Like, I like that it's <laughs> it's just a little bit because it's not a re- it's again, it's not a real team up. They don't actually meet. They don't communicate. But I just like that idea that they, they, they just touch on it a little that there's some ghostly spirit looking over the current Batman from the older one, which I just think is a nice detail. Yeah, it's great. It really is. And, and they gave him a nice heroic. And I mean, for the end of Brave and the Bold, it's a nice heroic image with the both Batman there. Cause you got the Batman who started the Brave and the Bold series and the Batman who ended the Brave and the Bold series. Yeah. And uh, I, I do think the line's a little too much where like, I, I only know that I feel like I faced my greatest challenge and won. Yeah. I'm not sure Brimstone's your greatest challenge, but that's okay, you know. Well, or maybe, maybe his greatest greatest challenge is cancellation. Maybe, maybe so. And this is a team up that had never been done in this book. They had never mm-hmm. thought to do Batman and Batman. So uh, I would love to know when Mike W. Barr, like when he was told, okay, the book's going to get canceled. What do we? What do you want to do? And like, you go through the research, and geez, we've never even teamed the two. We've never teamed the two Batmans up. Let's do that. Like, perfect. Yeah. So uh, it's just a just a really perfect way to wrap up this this vaunted title of the DC Universe. I mean, obviously this had to be planned. It's not like issue 200 snuck up on them. They're like, no. well, just by coincidence, right. that's the last one. No, I mean, clearly. No, I mean, I just wonder, like, how far ahead did they tell Mike Barr, okay, the book's canceled in a year. So let's start thinking of some team-ups. What's, what's a good way to go out on? And then you're going back and you're like, geez, I wonder if, have we done yeah. this before? No, we have. Oh, wow. What perfect, yeah. you know. And in previous issues of Brave and the Bold, Batman teamed up with, like, Sergeant Rock and the Unknown Soldier. Like, he did lots of crazy yes. team-ups that he really shouldn't be able to do because Bob Haney was writing and he didn't care. Teamed up with Jim Aparo at one yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> he teamed up with Jim Aparo at one point. He teamed up with Wildcat every third issue, you know, uh, but, but they never did Batman and Batman. So what a perfect way to wrap this series up. Yeah. It's great. Well, why don't we get into our feature so we can celebrate some more of the stuff on the issue. So uh, normally we cover a couple different segments on the show. You know, this isn't a team adventure, so we'll skip a couple of them. We'll we'll skip the All-Stars and the Johnny Thunder Participation Award, but we'll jump right to the menaces to society, which is uh, everyone loves the bad guys, right? So what is the best villain moment of the issue, Rob? I think Brimstone being so full of rage that he's able to transplant his brain into another place. Like that's... That's 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 pretty heady, you know. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't give up, and I just I like the idea that um in the panel where um he's just sitting in the dark with his head down, 
that he's just so full of malevolence that it even the the confines of of his you know his physical body won't stop him uh i think i thought that was just it gave it gave a, a silly villain a kind of really spooky touch I, that was going to be my moment, but I had a backup just in case we picked the same moment. Uh, it's a scene that Brimstone's not even in. It's the scene where Commissioner Gordon is holding Brimstone's note. This is the Earth One version in 1983. He's holding the note for Batman. It's the note that Brimstone has sent to the police. And it says, don't want money, only Gotham's death. Just mm-hmm. wanted you to know. Like, <laughs> wow! I mean, that is like, that's, that's calling your shot right there. I mean, that's just saying, you know what? Like you said, just some people like to watch the world burn. And I thought, okay, you know, your your moment was the one I wanted to pick, but that's a great backup one too. It's just, you know, yeah, I'm just going to kill everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. So overall favorite moment of the story. So it might be something in the art or the writing. What do you got? Well, I already mentioned the art. That yeah, panel yeah. of Batman diving out is just absolutely mm, chef's kiss. Uh, Art-wise, again, like the whole 50s thing is perfect. Story-wise, it's, it's a nice little detail. Uh, I like that that bar fits in all sort of the classic Batman tropes where he, he stiffs his date. Uh, he, you know, he gets to talk to commissioner Gordon, but I like the, the bit where Alfred comes to bring down the dinner and uh, mm. you know, and he puts it down and you know, Batman's too busy and he gets up and he leaves and, and then he just, you know, leaves and, and Alfred's like, let's be Mr. Bruce, your nourishment. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I just love that kind of stuff. That uh, that Alfred, you know, I just like the detail that Alfred goes to all this pressure. I mean, it's it's a minor little character detail, and we've even seen it in the movies. But I just love that idea that that uh, you know Batman just takes off, and poor Alfred's like, you didn't even eat anything. Like, how does Batman even manage to keep going without <laughs> eating anything? He's got to take care of his body. Um, but I mean, just story wise, yeah, I just I, I think the, the construction of this thing is so perfectly done. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, I love the idea of Arkham being filled with old, creepy Batman villains with nothing to do. There's, there's just something really horrifying about that. Can you imagine what Condiment King had did like over the years once hummus became a thing? He probably just yeah. blew his mind. Calendar Man, like he's just sitting there cr- counting the days with for oh. no purpose. Right. Batman's dead. Yeah. Okay, that's creepy. All right. So my favorite is it's big picture. My favorite is the contrast of the fifties version of the story and the eighties story. So I felt like the one page that summed that up the most is the is the opening splash page, which I already raved about, so I'm not gonna spend much time on. But it's just the one where the two Batman are face to face on the on the burning ground and in, in um Brimstone's behind him. I just love the contrast of the two Batman. There are two logos. Every bit of that. That that first page is just pure joy. That is my favorite moment in the comics. I feel like it sums up everything in the issue right there. All right. So, Rob, what in this issue? We we love to celebrate they when they describe the differences between Earth One and Earth Two. How do they do it this time? Yeah, it gets right into that in the uh, the opening. There's a double page splash in the prologue, and this is Mike Barr feels the need to you know. Keep, keep get everybody up to speed about what this is. And he says, only the truly wise can know where a story truly begins. This story, for example, did it begin uh, eons ago when parallel Earths were fused from stardust, each separated from the other by a dimensional barrier, uh, each similar to the other, yet possessing a unique group of superheroes. And we get Dave Gibbons drawing the two Green Lanterns and the two Flashes, which tended to be the characters you went to to exemplify the differences between the two words like, Oh, they have similar heroes, but they're a little different. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to see uh, Dave Gibbons drawing. Now, of course he drew green lantern. Um, he was the regular artist in that series. So he, he drew green lantern pretty regularly, but you never get to, you know, 
Dave Gibbons didn't get to draw Flash all that much. So, and even the Earth Two one. So there, there's the way of reminding everybody: Hey, here's the Earth One, Earth Two concept. Here's the panel. Here's a reminder of what what it is. We also see the two Earths in the behind them, you know, yeah. intersecting. So um, I gotta say that image, just the close up of Jay Garrick and Alan Scott. Holy crap! I would have killed to read a gay, Dave Gibbons JSA comic. Oh my god, it's oh, yeah. just beautiful. The faces, I mean, just the, the the optimism on Jay's face, the sort of minimalism on Alan's face. Damn, it looks good. I would, oh, would have just been beautiful. <laughs> so the next one, and I think we both have a lot to say about this one, uh, multiversal hijinks. This is where we discuss some bonkers multiple Earth concepts in the series. Um, without a doubt, that award goes to, what the hell with Brimstone being... <laughs> And his psychic twin on the other earth. Yeah, so they, they, they tell a bit here where, uh, as a child, he knew deep in his heart that he was not alone in the universe. For somewhere, another of him existed, a cosmic twin whose physical face was indiscernible from his own, though their faces of the souls differed like night and day. And you see two little versions of this same kid. One's like, you know, a street tough, and one's like going off to a prep school or something. I don't know. And... I mean, just the idea that they're okay. So there's two of the same guy, but the fact that he could just psychically, just because he thinks there might be another world out there with Batman, shunt his mind to the other dimension or the parallel Earth is just bonkers. It, it works for the story, and you just go, okay, go with it. But when you stop and think about it, it's like that makes no effing sense. Yeah, you have to just go with it. I do love the body language uh, that Dave Givens gives the two different Lucians because the evil one it looks kind of cocky. And then the other one is a little more nebbishy. It looks a little like, okay, just a little, you know. Um, but, but yeah, you can't, it, it didn't bother me in 1983. It doesn't bother me now because it's like, well, look, it's a parallel earth. None of this makes any damn sense anyway. So fine. <laughs> but it's just, you know, fine. Brimstone, Brimstone is so full of hate. He can transfer his mind. Fine. I'll, I'll go with it. That's, that's, I'm with you, Mike W. Bar. Fair enough. Um, then the other is is the science what category, which is just where some bonkers comic book science and and uh, what, what would you attribute to the the bonkers comic book science in this one? Well, I mean, I mean, I think the science is actually probably pretty good with the Batman learning how to set off the explosions using chemical compounds. Like that's actually, I don't know if it's accurate. It reads like it's accurate, so it's good enough for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they they don't. The story doesn't bother with transmatter cubes or any of that Falderall that we've been reading in the previous JLA JSA stories. <laughs> so other than the mind transference, the, the, there isn't any other Earth 2 science, uh, crazy multiple Earth science, which is fine with me. Well, I, there's no multiple Earth science, but I definitely think the, the, the science that you dismissed as plausible is like complete horse crap. You know, the, the fact that Batman, just on a whim, steals potassium nitrate from these sacks in the outer room, just on a, just on a chance. And then he finds charcoal and sulfur in the wall of the pit. And then he finds the lead pipe or whatever and forces it in there and makes all the gun all in the time where the lava is flowing in to make this like you know, projectile weapon explosive thing. I'm like, oh, come on. I mean, again, arena. Yeah, it works in arena. What the hell? <laughs> Her can make a cannon out of some rocks and a bamboo tube. I mean, what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well that's uh that that's that in a nutshell so that is the story of brave and the bull number 200 it is lots of fun i i really enjoyed this i'm glad you suggested this comic i was hesitant going in uh and then the minute i saw his artwork uh in the 50s i was like oh i'm sold so 
This is now where we transition into another segment of the JSA Character Spotlight. So, Rob, uh, this is where you get a chance to talk about one of the JSA members. Hint, there's only one in this book. Uh, <laughs> and tell us a little bit about that character. Would you like to tell us about the Golden Age, or in this case, I guess technically Silver Age, Batman? Well, yes, of course. Everyone, I mean, we don't need to get into the history of Batman. Everyone knows. Uh, I did want to talk about, you know, Batman's, uh, the transition from the Silver Age slash Earth 2 Batman to the Earth 1 Batman is murky mm-hmm. uh, at best. There really is no specific comic. Mike, Mike's Amazing World has a couple different, that chronology is really kind of confusing to me. I'm not sure where they get that from. There was one point where DC Comics, I think, said that it was Detective Comics number 327. I heard introduced. that at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes no sense because that is many years after Brave and the Bold number 28 came out featuring the Justice League. Well, you're saying mm. that the Justice League, it features the Earth 2 Batman? That can't be right. Right. And so, you know, they're like, well, no, it's the first appearance of when he gets the yellow oval. But, well, that, again, that can't be right because the Batman and Justice League had, didn't have a yellow oval for many years. So there just is no real line of demarcation where they say, okay, this is clearly another Batman. The first time DC really did have to sort of acknowledge, okay, this is this one, this is the other one, is in JLA number 82, where the Golden Age Batman shows up as a member mm. of the Justice Society, and he's interacting with the Earth-1 Batman. That's the first time they did that, where they're like, okay, this is this Batman. Now, since then... That Batman had a handful of appearances. Not a lot. He showed up in Superman Family occasionally. I haven't read those stories, but they must be flashbacks. Uh, he did appear in a couple of issues of JLA when they did the JLA, JSC team-ups. He was in the Justice Society strip in Adventure Comics, and that's the strip where he met his demise. And he dies in Adventure Comics number 462, drawn by Joe Staden. That was a comic I had as a kid, and he gets killed by a kind of nothing villain, um, and, uh, the whole gist of that story is that Batman is in retirement. Huntress has, has since taken over, but there's this old villain of Batman's that resurfaces and he decides to suit up one last time and he volunteer basically sacrifices himself, uh, to die. I've seen some criticisms of that story that it's like, really, that's how you kill off the golden age Batman. But I actually kind of like it. Um, I think it's dramatically done. Uh, maybe someday we'll cover that on the show because I think it's a good story. I think just think all those issues of the Justice Society strip and adventure are pretty good. But that's the end of that's where they kill off the Earth Two Batman, and that stayed in continuity for the rest of DC Comics until the Crisis came along, and then Batman got erased out of continuity entirely. But Batman stayed dead uh, throughout those stories. I mean, here we've established the Joker knows that he's dead. Huntress has taken over. Our father's gone in Brave and the Bold, number one ninety-seven. That story is told from Batman's point of view, and there's even a, a, a comment at the end where he says, "You know, when my day comes." Well, we know when his day has come because we've already seen that story. And so, Bat- the, your, once the Earth Two Batman got kind of shunted into Earth Two, he didn't appear that much. They kind of kept him off to the side, I think, because they wanted to keep the other Batman special. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, a handful of appearances, and uh, you know, I. I I love that he gets a kind of like another bite at the apple in this story. He gets a full adventure all on his own as a solo Batman star, like he did in the first 30 years of comics. (laughs) 
And I think it's fair to say the way DC, you know, thought about it was like, you know, we don't need more than one Batman running around. You know, yeah. Batman. Now, they, obviously, they feel very different about that nowadays with Batman International <laughs> and whatever, and however many Batman we've got. But back then, they was, you know, what? All right, uh, he still existed, but we're just going to focus on the modern one. You know, the Neil Adams Batman, if you will. So they did that, and then killing him too. It's it's sad that he died in sort of a you know not major heroic kind of going out way but at the same time it's not like they really killed batman they just put a stop to this one character but truthfully you could have read batman from you know 1939 straight on to 1985 and you've still got batman running around still bruce wayne they just killed a version of him and that's i mean it's understandable Yep. All right. Well, thank you for that. That that's, that's a JSA character spotlight. I didn't know that we'd ever get to uh, Golden Age Batman. So that's pretty cool. So, all right, folks. We are going to take a quick podcast from a break, and when we come back, we are going to cover your feedback from the last episode of JSA Presents Crisis. Stellar Studios presents an Into the Weird and a World on Fire production, starring in alphabetical order, Brainwave Junior. Fury, Jade, Northwind, Nuclon, Obsidian, The Silver Scarab, The Star Spangled Kid. These are the members of Infinity Inc., the protégés and children of the legendary Justice Society. Created by Roy Thomas, Jerry Ordway, and Mike Macklin, their 1980s adventures are chronicled at last by Herman Lowe and Billy Dee two podcasters with way too much time on their hands, but dedicated to analyzing, glorifying, and sometimes vilifying the stories from the team's first series. So hop in your Star Rocket Racer, switch on the radio, and let's rediscover the Earth 2 we'd all like to go back to. Star Rocket Radio, an Infinity Inc. podcast. Soaring through the Pottersphere since September 2021. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, or a purpose, or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. <laughs> Puns. This is The Outcasters, a Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with The Huntress Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters because to live outside the law, you must be honest.
All right, we're back with your views from Earth Prime. This is where we're going to cover your feedback from JSA Presents Crisis number three. And just as a reminder, we are focusing solely on your comments on our website, the iTunes reviews, and your emails. So please, we love the social media, Facebook and Twitter, and retweeting and sharing, but we are going to focus on those for just sake of expediency. First off, iTunes reviews, or Apple Podcast reviews, whatever you want to call them, uh, if you would, please consider leaving a review. It does help raise the profile of the show and help new people find the community. Now, first up, we got one from, um, it, the, the name is a little unusual, that's why I'm struggling, I'm sorry, Luca13Razzy, maybe, is how you say that? <laughs> online no hand, that's online why I hand. you do it. Online handles are so much fun. Anyway, Luca, we appreciate the review. Thank you so much. And I love it. Uh, the subject line of this review was poop on Marvel. <laughs> and his, re- his review is simply found my joy. I love that. That is fantastic. And it absolutely captures the spirit of our comic is that we're all about uh, our, our podcast, finding our joy and pooping on Marvel. So thank you so much, Luca. We appreciate that. Then as far as comments and emails, uh, first up is Jason Zeller. He says, just want to say how much I love the Justice Society Presents podcast. I really enjoy everything Earth 2 JSA. It's been fun to go back and reread these crossover issues and hear you talk about them. I'm a huge fan of the Legion of Superheroes, but those issues were hard to get through and it was really all over the place. I was disappointed that Mordrew disappeared from the story and he is one of, as he is one of my favorite Legion villains. Yeah, Jason, if, if we had known or remembered the Legion story more clearly, we might not have covered that so early in our JSA JLA Timo coverage because it didn't hold up as much as we would have hoped. <laughs> it was a big swing to take the, that story that early on in the show. Uh, he got a comment from Rob McCarthy. Uh, he said, if they had more pages, I'd have loved Batman or somebody else to mention Plastic Man is alive on our Earth, and that's troubling. I, I, don't, I don't know why is that, why that is troubling. Uh, and then he said, it must have been so much easier for Roy Thomas to write an All-Star Squadron than Invaders. Uh, Marvel was like, uh, sure, Roy, write a monthly story in World War II, but don't change Cap, Namor, Torch, or Red Skull. DC's like, hey, Earth 2, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman need to live. Otherwise, go nuts. Which, <laughs> that's a fair Rob. observation, Rob. He did see himself as the purveyor of everything Earth 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we're here from Alan Wright, uh, who does the Robin Hood Bold Outlaw website. Uh, shout out to him again, Robin, doing the Robin Hood bit in this issue. Uh, and also, uh, Alan's part of the Blake 7 podcast, straight out of the Federation. So, uh, Alan writes, as Robin McCarthy noted, the Squadron of Justice was the Shazam's Squadron of Justice. Basically that, quote, we can't call the Marvel family on the cover, end quote, <laughs> and some other assorted Fawcett heroes. That crossover features a rare appearance by the mostly retired or two Batman in costume. Interesting. So that's, uh, that's you know, a nod to this issue. So hmm, I, I don't know that I've, I, well, I would have read that crossover, but I don't have any memory of it. So he says, looking forward to your show about the Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. Let me know if you need any info on the medieval archer that the Earth 2 Green Arrow is subbing for. Hmm. Can't possibly imagine who Alan might be talking about. Hmm. Uh, Matt Saroy says, it's funny how different your perspective of time can change. Uh, when I was youngster buying these, uh, buying these two issues out of the bins at my local comic shop, I remember thinking I was buying some really old comics. Of course, <laughs> now that I know these two issues came out only weeks before I was born, I don't think they're that old at all. By the time I <laughs> discovered this story, I'd already be introduced to the Freedom Fighters from that fantastic five-part story running through All-Star Squadron. 31 through 35, a terrific tale of triumph and tragedy that showed the freedom fighters as natives of Earth 2, but becoming the heroes of Earth X, as well as the death of the Red B. <gasps> Your beloved Red B. Beloved Red B. My slash fiction was forever ruined by his death. Uh, then we heard from Cisco, who's of course part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He does shows such as FW Team Up, Oh Hot More Not, and many more. 
He says, the Freedom Fighters captured my imagination with that DC Comics Presents appearance they made, which he, by the way, covered on an episode of FW's Emo. It says, but that's essentially wrapped into my interest in Golden Age characters, including the quality heroes, of course. Uncle Sam has roots in American history that predate the I Want You posters, so Shag can dismiss him if he likes, but that's uh, a little like hating Santa Claus because Coca-Cola co-opted him. <laughs> I, I, nice reference. I like that. That's good. Um, little Russell Burbage from the Legion of Super Bloggers and the Friends of Justice blog says, thanks for another great episode, guys. This is one of my all-time favorite JLA-JSA team-ups. Oh, by the way, I should say, Russell put JSA-JLA team-ups. He's uh-huh. going to be happy about uh-huh. that, Jack. Uh, for several reasons. First, similar to Rob's experience, this team-up was one of the first backup, backup issues I ever got. Uh, yeah, uh, did I say? Yeah, backup issues. I don't know why I found that weird to say. I definitely set away for it, and I can remember getting them and JLA 105 or something else non sequential in the same package. Secondly, this story features some of my favorite characters. I've always had a soft spot for the Sandman, Dr. Fate, and the Red Tornado. So this lineup was filled with JSA goodness. Thirdly, the concept of what if a Nazis won World War II was awesome. Fourth, the art by Dick Dillon, the by Dick's Dillon and Giordano was at their zenith. As you mentioned, the panel Batman climbing the Eiffel Tower is just the best example of beautiful, beautiful art at these in these issues. And lastly, the Freedom Fighters became some of my favorite DC characters. I devoured their book in the 70s, even though it was mostly not very good. A few tidbits of trivia that I would like to share. The Elongated Man, Batman, and the Sandman are the only members to appear in each of Len Wein's JLA-JSA team-ups. Wow. They were three of his favorites after Len left. Ralph and Wes basically stopped going to the get-togethers. Ralph appeared in one more, and the same man retired. Originally, Lynn wanted to call Earth-X something else, Earth-Swastika or Earth-Nazi. JLA editor Julius Schwartz refused, and they compromised on Earth-X. Oh, uh, that makes sense. I mean, the X looks kind of like a swastika. I didn't think about yeah, that. Yeah, that was cooler heads prevailed there. Uh, Dick Dillon drew the Silver Age Adventures of the Blackhawks. When their book was canceled, he moved over to JLA. Uh, and the Ray had a one-issue solo series in the back of Black Lightning before that book was canceled as part of the DC implosion. The story actually continues from an adventure that was never published. It references either Freedom Fighters or Secret Society, but both those stories were abruptly, series were both abruptly canceled before the adventure Happy References was published. And, of course, his continuation was never published either. Yikes. Wow. I remember I the Ray being in that DC implosion ad now that Russell mentions it. He's one of those characters standing there. Yeah, he oh, is. You're right. Yep. Yep. I didn't realize it. Wow. Okay. I mean, I love the race so much. I, I That's like a little hidden gem. Thank you, Russell. Yeah, All right. Or from Josh Romano, it says, terrific episode, guys. I love some JSA, JLA crossover mayhem. And this is one of my favorites. A few thoughts. I've always hated the way the league treated Red Tornado. He could have been a full-time hero in residence on the satellite, but they never treated him like a real member. Thanks for the love to Dick Dillon. He deserves credit for his work. I'll have to go back and find your first Earth Prime review. Hard to believe you guys have been at it for over 10 years. You're even starting to get good at it. Well, Josh, I I wouldn't exaggerate there. I'm not so sure. You heard the opening of this episode, right? Um, That Earth Prime review, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was 10 years ago. It was me and Rob and Diablo Frank, and we went nuts on that thing and tried to cover it all in one go it was it was a fool's errand four-hour episode or something something like that frank actually sweated through his pajamas and had to change halfway through it that's a true story by the way um but uh we do plan to cover that story again here on this show or in some other capacity we're just not sure what and we're gonna wait quite a while because it you know it's been 10 years we could wait another 10 i guess i don't know anyway (laughs) wow 
<laughs> we're doing this till we till we die, sir. All right. Then we have a net administrator who runs DC Multiverse Earth One or Two blog. He says I was always perplexed with Red Tornado's motivations for wanting to return to Earth Two. The Justice Society, and in particular our man, always told him he was a liability. And in the preceding tale, he fell. Uh, sorry, he met and fell in love with Kathy Sutton. So maybe he had a screw loose, both metaphorically or literally. <laughs> I like that. Uh, and, and poor Red Tornado. I mean, he really did get bagged on by everybody. I mean, in an era of, you know, people trying to think better and treat people better at that point in history, you think Red Tornado would have got some kind of love, but no, they were horrible to him. Yeah, they're, they're a bunch of dicks to him in that story. <laughs> uh, Captain Entropy says, regarding Red Tornado, let's look at the evidence. The League has taken Red Tornado to an unfamiliar location where he works for them, presumably without pay. They've cut off communication to the people who know him back home and left those people to think he's dead. They've denied him every opportunity to leave. <laughs> Red Tornado was clearly a victim of human trafficking. Oh if the international justice mission had been around back then, they'd have been trying to get ready off that satellite into a safe house. <laughs> <laughs> and then he also says, ready is, uh, by the way, he says, ready is the all-star or in a league of zone or whatever you decided to call the MVP. This podcast is new, so I forget. Without him, EarthX would still be under Nazi Skynet management. <laughs> well, not only did he take it down, he freaking punched out Robot Hitler. So, I mean, come on. that That's right there. You get the award. I think we did give it to him, if I remember. I think so, yeah, because he punched yeah. it. For that reason, he punches out Robot Hitler. Exactly. <laughs> then we heard from Billy D, uh, of course, our buddy from the uh, All-Star Squadron podcast, World on Fire. He's also part of the Into the Weird podcast and many more. Billy says, great episode, Robin Shag. Being a DC noob, it's been fun and educational following along with his show and the network, honestly. You guys are a pair of aces. Many thanks for the promo play. As Herman said, I greatly appreciate the love. Oh, well, thank you, Billy. Now, by the way, uh, they posted a, a video to their Facebook. And um, I want to say it was, okay, I guess it could have been Herman, but I think it was Billy. He got all the Freedom Fighter issues. So in the mail. So uh, pretty cool. Looking forward to hearing you guys talk about those. They are from Lizanne Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Liz says, Red Tornado was pretty cool in this. My cousin had his action figure as a kid, so when we played Superpowers, he'd use him. See, now that's nice to know that somebody actually played with a Red Tornado toy. So there you go. A little love for Red I did. I had it. It was a boss action figure. <laughs> And then uh, uh, Liz says, cool seeing Earth X in this. And I, I don't know if you remember, during the uh, Ray character spotlight that I talked for like 30 minutes, it was more like a TED Talk about the Ray. Uh, I mentioned the CW Ray animated cartoon, uh, which, by the way, I watched since then. I finished it. I finished, it's great. Anyway, uh, Liz says, I saw the CW uh, verse thing and the animated movie. It worked well. I had no idea it was a web show first. It works well all together. Yeah, folks, the Ray animated story is really exciting, uh, and you can find it out there. Probably Again, I watch on Amazon Prime, but I'm sure you can still find it on various places. Maybe even the CW Network. I'm not sure. Uh, fellow Network All-Star Chris Franklin, who, of course, does JLU cast and the Superman Movie Minute with me, which uh, we're in uh, hour seven of Superman 3 at the moment, uh, among <laughs> other shows. Uh, he says, uh, listening now, but I just wanted to point out that I loved uh, Lynn Wein picking up on the earlier tough guy slash scrapper personality with this portrayal of the Earth 2 Superman. When I wrote a history of the character for Back Issue magazine a few years ago, I noted that this was the first time there was any real distinction made between the personalities of him and the much more sedate Earth 1 version. Of course, this whole jived with my fan theory that the much more rough and tumble George Reeves was the Earth 2 Superman, but Christopher Reeve was our guy on Earth 1. And poor Red Tornado, you gods, he treated horribly during this period. He kind of was like from, uh, he kind of was from the beginning and it just continued on and on. 
Vision may have taught us an android could cry, but Reddy certainly is more reason to do so. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone feels bad for Red Tornado, so that's <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, we heard from Dr. Chris Lewis from the Stor- Storium Arc podcast. Chris says, thanks, Shag, for the Ray spotlight. I adored the Harris Casada Ray Terrell miniseries and the subsequent Priest Porter series. Yeah, the latter half got a bit entangled in its own continuity, especially when Priest dragged in the Justice League Task Force book, too. But there's no cooler looking hero in the 1990s than the Ray. That jacket, that finned helmet, the way he has looked completely changed when he's in flight. That jacket. Those cool little pixie boots. And did I mention his freaking cool jacket? <laughs> you, look like, you look like a like a band major with that jacket. It looked great. Uh, the book was a fun coming-of-age story, too, featuring tensions with his father, uh, Happy, who was a middle-aged, I'm uh, sorry, mildly age-inappropriate romance with Black Canary. I just screwed that whole sentence up, guys. He's talking about his father, Happy, and the fact that the Ray had a, uh, was it spring-summer romance with Black Canary, is what he's saying. And the confusing, dreadful um, arch-villain, Death Mask. Yes, terrible name. It's the 90s. I'd love to see more of the Ray incorporation into a rebooted JSA. would certainly get my vote of approval. Yeah, I mean, the Ray, that's where he belongs. I I get the Freedom Fighters, but it just doesn't work. Make him part of the JSA, and let's just move on. That's, That's the way to do it. I think I saw a death mask when they opened for Guar a bunch of years ago. I don't. I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They they had all the foam padding and stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then we heard from Symbol Penning, uh, Pending from the Power Girl blog, also called Symbol Penning. They write, "I've just done the last All Star Comics number seventy four on my blog, including the whole Wildcat saga that you've just gone over." And just at that point, where they go into Venture Comics, he says it's telling that Levitz does the whole split up to solve problems and then come together to beat the big bad. Though it's not a terrible plot in the slightest, it works many times in the comic. So uh, that that sort of addresses what you said, Rob, about those Adventure Comics and the All-Star Comics. They'd be great to cover. I would love to cover those old All-Star Comics because, I mean, the Super Squad, that played a very formative part in my personal love of the, uh, of the JSA. Uh, and then he's, uh, then Simple Penning says, it's obvious who I'd like to uh, be in on the rebooted JSA. I'm assuming they mean Power Girl. Uh, but you also make a strong case for the Ray. Though I'm worried about you, Shag, considering how little you mentioned Phantom Lady, especially with her infamous costume choices. <laughs> okay, yeah, it goes with that. I mean, saying Phantom Lady is hot is like saying, you know, I breathe air. So it's just, you know, goes with that saying. A team with Power Girl and Phantom Lady would be like, that's, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, did you say something? Those Adam Hughes covers would be something else. Uh, <laughs> Martin Gray from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog says, thanks for another splendid show. What a terrific two-parter this was. And like everyone else, I feel sorry for Reddy. His life is terrible before he settled down with Kathy and Treya. John Smith is so dull and Secret ID should have been Fred Tornado. <laughs> <laughs> he should have told the JLA to bugger off and settle down with the Freedom Fighters. <laughs> <laughs> They probably would have been nicer to him. <laughs> it makes so, yeah. All right. Then we're from Rocket Dan Jackson. He says, thanks for a wonderful show. That brought back some memories. This was the first JSA, JLA team-up that I picked up as back issues. So it's in the top half of my favorite team-ups. You see this, Rob. Almost everybody's saying JSA, JLA team-ups, by the way. Just pointing <laughs> that out. Uh, Alan Wright, by the way, made some jokes about it earlier. I forgot to mention that. But anyway, uh, Dan says, Lynn Ween's JLA was a fun read, and Dick Dillon was a very fine artist on the series. Uh, I just like bringing that. Isn't Lynn Ween the one who forgot Aquaman was part of the league? No, that was uh, Danny O'Neill. 
Oh, whoops, my mistake. Okay. Anyway, so back to what Rocket Dan said. He says, my least favorite team-ups were the ones that included Earth-1 Johnny Thunder. That would be the yeah. extremely painful JLA issues 37 through 38, Earth uh, without a Justice League, and Crisis on Earth-A, and the unfortunate retconning of Black Canary's <laughs> origin in JLA 219 and 220, Crisis in the Thunderbolt Dimension, and Doppelganger Gambit. Now, there were two Johnny Thunders to deal with. No! I cannot I wait just, till we get to that two-parter. I really can't wait. Oh, my wait. God. I've no, thank you. I, I actually put, kept this in the comments just as a blueprint for stories to avoid until we absolutely have to come. No, we're doing that. I'm going to get loaded and we're going to do this. <laughs> That's how I'm going to do it. It's gonna be oh, fun. I'm not looking forward to that. All right. Oh, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Ward Hill Terry says, uh, this is not only a favorite comic, it's a sentimental favorite. I got this book with a donation of clothes from another family. So this would have been my first taste of the parallel earths. I'm trying to remember the sequence, and I think uh, that I read this first and many more times between the summers of 75 and 76. My sister had already bought a copy of JLA 121, and that was my introduction to Red Tornado. I saw JLA 135 on a newsstand the next summer, and I was so excited. Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth X, Earth S. Got it. No problem. What a great way to meet so many great characters. Uh, Giordano was my favorite Jalen Inker, and he says, Ready the JLA's treatment of Freddy. First, Green Lantern is showing real sympathy towards him. They don't know what he is. Putting an android slash robot slash synthesoid into the matter transfer machine is like putting aluminum foil in a microwave. (laughs) 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 And then he concludes with, the Freedom Fighter and the Freedom Fighters and the Justice Society are not the defenders. Team members shouldn't be coming and going. They have core groups without whom there is no good purpose or team to exist, in my humble opinion. By the way, I really love this podcast. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Ward Hill. He cracks me up. Oh, my gosh. He, he was on a recent episode of JLI. We just had a blast going back and forth and not agreeing on anything. It was super fun. I uh, had dinner with Terry not that long ago. It was a right. marvelous evening. Yes. He, he's a great guy. He really is. Well, folks, uh, that's it for the feedback on that episode. If you would like to leave a, a feedback on this episode, please go out to our po- uh, website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JSA presents, or send us an email as well at uh, justice society presents at gmail.com. And of course, you know, you can uh, promote it on Facebook and Twitter would be greatly appreciated. Um, and really, I think that's going to do it. So we haven't decided what we're doing next, but I think we're back to JLA team ups next time, right? Yeah, I think so. We, we, we definitely want to do other team ups, but we want to, the core mission is the JLA JSA crisis team. up. So we're going to, we'll, we'll get, get back to that next time. Absolutely. So folks, I guess that's going to do it until next time. Join the fight for justice. With his army of evil on the march, Bird Degaton appears to have time on his side. But when duty calls, they answer, bringing the fight for freedom to the front lines. They are the mystery men and women known as the Justice Society of America.